0: Today, I'm interviewing postgraduate researcher Edeline D'Souza about her research, life and experience as a student at Surrey. Hi Ed, how are you doing?
1: Good, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Um, So Ed, you're a researcher in quantum biology. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your work?
1: Uh, Yeah, so I'm a a researcher in quantum biology. I trained as a biologist. Uh, I did biomedical science in my undergrad. Um, at Surrey actually, and now I'm straying slightly from the pure biology side of things, um, working on investigating whether there are quantum uh, behaviours that might be taken advantage of in some biological processes. The, The process particularly that I work on is how animals use the Earth's magnetic field to navigate and that's also called magnetoreception.
0: Um, so not lingering too long on the science, because the, the idea of this is to get um, postgraduate's experiences. Um, so you said that you uh, were a biologist by training. Um, how have you found it straying into the field of quantum biology and dealing with people like myself, physicists?
1: Uh I find it interesting. It's definitely um something new every day, but it's also very hard because you have to take into account um the the completely different point of view and the different types of questions that um some physicists or chemists will have to the way you think about things as a biologist. Um but it's it's definitely challenging in a good way.
0: Yeah. And Uh, You also said that you were um, you'd done your undergraduate at Surrey. Um, How have you found uh, the transition from I mean, everyone's got their own story of their transition from undergraduate to postgrad. But how have you found how did you find the transition uh, being a Surrey undergrad to going to be a Surrey postgrad?
1: It's it's a really strange feeling being at the same university you did your undergrad in because there are people like some of the lecturers that you knew as lecturers are now people you just see in the hallways and kind of talk to them, um, call them by their first names or, you know, have in jokes and things like that. So it's it's a slightly weird situation to be in, but it's actually really nice because you um, tend to get deeper into the science and listen to, like, learn about how their research works as opposed to what they were meant to teach you in a a lecture hall setting. So that's been really interesting. Um, Personally, I prefer not sitting and passively learning uh, in lecture theatres, so doing research and having, like, one-on-one discussions are definitely something that I like a lot better than I did and uh, and get to do more of than I did in undergrad.
0: Over the past couple of months, um, we've obviously had this big situation, um, with COVID. Um, how have you, how have you found the last few months?
1: That's a difficult question. <laughs> it's been a bit up and down, to be honest, like, um, I think everyone goes through a bunch of phases through this whole lockdown process and there is like the novelty of it. So you're super motivated and um, excited to have all of this extra time to yourself. So you fully expect to be doing things like building on your side hustles or developing skills. Um, But unexpectedly or even expectedly, I think there's, um, you can sometimes uh, find yourself um, really suffering in the creativity department just because you're always in the same four walls sort of environment You're always interacting with the same people um, and there's a lot of fatigue that comes with having almost all of your social and um, work-related interactions on a screen a tiny screen uh, <laughs> so and it is different because you don't get the same sort of um, nonverbal cues in like meetings and uh calls and things like that that you would in person um and also you start to do this like wave as you end calls which is a very strange non-natural thing for everyone to suddenly adopt but I think it is it's been it, it's been really um good to learn how to like rely on yourself and try to um work more independently Um, definitely not easy as an experimentalist though i would have to say but everyone's in the same boat and i think we're coming out on the other side of it now
0: so as an experimentalist what has the impacts of this had on your work and kind of what have what have you been doing like what have you been looking at to mitigate the impacts on your work
1: Some of the time that I've had um, this extra time not in the labs has been working towards trying to just plan for when I do get back into labs just to make as efficient um, use of the time as possible just because we've all lost about four months. Um, I personally was very worried about the situation in the beginning and because of the um, unsure nature about uh, of well, the outlook of how long this was going to go on for, I actually took a um, temporary withdrawal for two months um, while still getting paid. Uh, So that just means that I'm going to end up with two months less um, funded time at the end of the year, uh, at the end of my um, PhD training period. So that is definitely a little bit of stress. Um, That's one of the ways that I tried to plan ahead and it's not necessarily the best way um a lot of people haven't done that and i could find it possibly making it harder for me to get um an extension a funded extension at the end of this because it could work against me um just because i haven't lost as much funded time as everyone else Mm. so it's a lot of decisions and it's a lot of um playing a what-if game but you've kind of just got to accept um that this is the way it is and then do the best you can from there
0: how have you found much support from the university or your supervisors
1: Mm, yes and no um i think timely support and support are two different things and in the beginning i know no one was sure what was going on but um I think that's when everyone was just a little bit more stressed and could have done with a little bit of contact and reassuring, uh, which did happen in, uh, with a bit of time, but my supervisors were really helpful at this point. Um, I spoke to them about uh, whether I would be able to go back home because we didn't know how long this was going to go on for. Um, and spend time with my family just so that we both weren't worrying about um, each other in different countries and not be not able to do anything um, at all Um, and also lockdown um, in a student house without like the support system would definitely be a lot more frazzling I think um, over the period of what happened to be four months Um, so it's no small period of time, but they were really supportive and they um, Definitely, I I think that what they made very clear was that it's your health is important your um, You being happy is important and it's science which you're doing. It's a job You have to be able to separate those two things. So I think everyone needs to be reminded of that sometimes and I personally was getting a little bit stressed out about the fact that I wouldn't be able to do my science and that would reflect on me, but they made sure to remind me to separate those two things and to take care of myself and, um, make sure I had the support first and foremost, which was really, really good.
0: I think that's a good sign of a, a, uh, supervisory team or supervisor that they're thinking about the health of their, their PhD students, um, as well as, as well as the work. So, Uh, moving on to more exciting things. Um, so what is the plan going forwards in terms of going back into the labs?
1: I'm really excited. Um, I think in about two weeks I should be back in the labs and it's been a very long time. I was on a work trip just before all of this sort of, uh, broke out and I didn't get as much lab time as I expected this year. Um, it's pretty much been since around the end of february that i've not been able to get my hands dirty with the science so i'm really excited to get back into that um looking forward more long term i think we're going to have to adjust um expectations and manage expectations with what might actually be product produced out of this um this phd because the sticking. but um i think everyone is aware of the situation and doing your PhD in the middle of a pandemic is a, a feat in itself forget um I mean well doing a PhD is a feat in itself forget doing a PhD in a pandemic but yeah I think
0: I think kudos to we can to just us. do our best sorry <laughs> kudos to us for... oh 100% <laughs> we can we can really blow our own trumpets like are
1: you,
0: you just got a normal PhD we got a PhD during a pandemic um uh yeah, but I, so um, uh, that's really good and I'm glad that you're, you know, excited about getting back into the lab. Um, and I, kn- I also know you as someone who's um, not only, uh, you're not a postgraduate who's just solely researched on, their, uh, solely focused on their research. Um, you're also part of Dodgeball, Archery, um, the Postgrad Society. Uh, You've done TEDx Talks, how have you found this involvement in the wider university and how how do you think that's added to you as a person?
1: I think meeting new people, so I, most people say this isn't true but I find myself, I think of myself as an introvert but over the years being at Surrey and engaging with activities that I enjoy, I've also found out that I enjoy meeting the people that do these activities Um, that um, are like-minded and so I get to meet a lot of new people, make friends with these people um, and generally become a little more extroverted, maybe not all the way but (laughs) a bit more of an ambivert let's say. Um, It's definitely made my life a lot more busy but in a good way and it really, I I like being busy so... (laughs) um it's made sure that i've stayed active um that i am not just using my mind but also um going out and doing things making memories alongside you know just doing getting the academic side of things so i i think and and i've got both sides of it for sure because um having done both my undergrad and my postgrad here um, you can see the difference in the way that you interact with your um, peers and your colleagues. Um, yeah, I'm I, i I'm really happy to have had both sides of it. It's dynamic, it's been interesting, and I think it's made me a more interesting person along the way.
0: <laughs> so, uh, you've been at Surrey for a long time. Um... I won't say that, you know, there there are people who who have been here longer, Um, but uh, as a student, you are probably one of the upper ends ends of uh, students. So what's been the highs and what's been the lows of your time at Surrey? Mm.
1: You're making me try to pick out of like almost six years now. (laughs) Uh, I think something that's always good and something that I'll always be able to think fondly of is like spending time on campus because it's really beautiful um and spending on t- spending time on campus is often with people that are really close to me and really um good friends and I don't know some uh by the lake sitting by the lake and having discussions or playing with a ball or a frisbee or um having a drink at Waits with um, some of my colleagues like you, <laughs> uh, playing chess or just sitting out in the sun. I think those are some of the fondest memories that I'll have of he- being here at Surrey.
0: I don't really want to bring it down to a, uh, lower the energy, but I did also ask for a low point. Can you think of, uh,
1: hmm. any low points? <laughs> mm maybe running for union chair so last year i ran in surrey decides um for union chair for the year 2019 2020 and it was an amazing experience but it was definitely um something that I put a lot of time in and didn't it didn't work out (laughs) um and kudos to the union chair of this year he is absolutely fantastic um but i do feel like that was a slightly low point for me because I was trying to juggle both research and um, campaigning around um, campus. I wouldn't say it's a completely low point though, because I really enjoyed it. And I think I learned a lot throughout the process.
0: Is it only on reflection as having unfortunately lost the election um, that it is now a low point? or because the, and the experience itself was actually quite stressful, but you, as you said, you did learn a lot. Um, and,
1: uh, even on reflection, I don't think it's that much of a low point. It was just the, the, the actual time of the losing it. That was quite sad. (laughs) Well, commiserations in, 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 all in all, I think the net gain, net was a gain rather than a loss. I did enjoy the experience for sure.
0: Well, that's good to know that it's mostly net positive um, with <laughs> all the experiences at Surrey. And we will be pushing more postgrads to be running in Surrey Decides this coming year. Um, <laughs> yes, do it. Do it. We need, we need
1: more postgrad representation. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. Um, so finally, um, a bit of advice as a second year postgraduate researcher, what, uh, what piece of advice would you pass on to the next uh, postgraduate researchers uh, coming up behind you?
1: Um, so are these postgraduate researchers that are um, already researchers or ones that are applying to be researchers?
0: um i got asked that exact question by solomon and i probably should have <laughs> rephased the question <laughs> um <laughs> you <laughs> i thought people would just decide um so uh, what piece of advice would you give to uh either people looking to apply for a postgraduate researcher or those who have are just about to start so um starting in september or maybe have started already or, you know What have you learned from your postgraduate experience, your postgraduate recent? Let me rephrase the question and I'm just going to edit all in. And you've had loads of time to think now. So what piece of advice that you've learned from your postgraduate research experience would you want to pass on?
1: So if someone is just about thinking of applying or applying elsewhere or applying to Surrey, either way, I would definitely say pay attention to the groups that you're applying to. Don't go simply on what they're researching because you will learn a lot of transferable skills. Make sure you're passionate about what you want to apply to, obviously, but make sure that the research groups are going to be a good fit. Make sure that they have the same sort of work-life balance that you envisage yourself having make sure you have time to have a life outside work as well Um, but definitely ask around ask the current um, postgrad postgraduate researchers they have the postdocs about what the culture is of that lab because that can make a big difference to whether you um enjoy your time or simply slog through uh to people that have already secured a place and are about to start, I would say, once again, make sure you have a work-life balance because that is really important. It's important to make sure that you have time away and that will make you a better scientist as well because you do some of your best thinking when you're not focused on the work that you're doing and you'll simply be inspired by the world around you. I think those are the that's what I would say. Definitely.
0: Thank you, Ed, for a very insightful chat. If you've enjoyed listening and want to share your postgrad experience or would like to nominate a fellow postgrad to chat with us, get in touch by emailing ussu.pgs at surrey.ac.uk or using Instagram or Twitter at SurreyPostgrads. I'm now talking to Alex Pavey from the doctoral college um, so welcome, Alex. Uh, let's start with talking about who you are and what your background is.
2: Oh, thanks, Lester, hi. Um, so yeah, my name is Alex Pavey, um, and uh, I'm one of the training officers in the research development programme team, the RDP team within the doctoral college. Um, so for my background, first of all, I, um, I did my doctorate part-time, um, finishing, feels like a long time ago now, but I think in the end finishing about three years ago. Um, And all in probably took me about six years doing it part time whilst working as well. And I did the doctorate at UCL in London. Um, And then after my doctorate, I was a postdoc down at the University of Portsmouth and uh, an hourly hourly paid lecturer in the history department in Portsmouth. Uh, And I worked there for a year or so until I came into this role at Surrey so I've been around for about, I'm coming up on my two-year anniversary, which has flown by. Okay. Um, but particularly if you, you know, factor in the six-month kind of where time has gone weird over the last six months with, with yep. COVID and lockdown and everything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Definitely. Um, so, yeah, you're a very visible member of the doctoral college. I know you from Welcome to Your Doctor and Researcher's Cafe. But uh, what is your role specifically?
2: So... I suppose the most, as you say, the most visible aspect of of what we do is so there are th- there are three of us within the RDP team who have my role, training officers, um, myself, Neil and Wright, and Mike Rose. And yeah, the most visible thing we do is is the compulsory workshops um, for doctoral students. Uh, the welcome to your doctorate, the confirmation workshop, and the Viva workshop um, that everyone has to undertake at different stages during their doctorate. So. One way or another, kind of all PGRs will almost always see me at some stage, regardless of what else they choose to do. Um, the other side of what we do, apart from those compulsory workshops, is first of all, there are the range of optional workshops that we do, kind of various skills development uh, training workshops, ranging from presentation skills to kind of planning and project management uh, approaches and techniques. And finally, the I guess, in a way, the less visible part of what we do outside of all those workshops is, first of all, the one-to-one support that we offer to PGRs. So I have a lot of one-to-one meetings. Sometimes that'll be a a mock viva to practice for a confirmation or a final viva. Sometimes it will be a conversation about a specific issue, a PGR seeking some kind of impartial advice about a challenge they've encountered during their doctorate and yeah the final thing not to kind of lay on too thickly all the things we do is a lot of the other kind of very very much less visible kind of i guess representation and advocacy work we do working collaborating with the faculties with the academic departments um to work together to find ways to support pgrs out of mike neilam and i we each have a faculty that we are the liaison for i'm the f- liaison for FHMS. So committee meetings, discussions with associate deans and postgraduate research directors and those types of things as well.
0: And within your role you've got a interest with well-being and that's kind of what you take uh, which is slightly different from Mike and Neelam. Um, Can you tell us a bit more about what the work you do with that
2: is? Yeah absolutely it's um so yeah, exactly as you say, kind of all the three of us have different areas that we kind of lead on um, and they're not necessarily exclusive, but, you know, they're areas of focus where one of us will kind of take the lead and, and, and try and develop some new activity or whatever that might be. And um, for about the last year or so, my one of my focuses has been researcher wellbeing. So that's wellbeing of PGRs. Um, it's also wellbeing of ECRs, Early Career Researchers, as well, because it's also worth bearing in mind that all of the stuff we do within the doctoral college um, is directed at, towards supporting early career researchers as well as postgraduate researchers. So over the last year, I've been thinking a lot about what we can be doing from within the doctoral college to, to make sure that researchers are well, researcher well-being is supported you know, as well as it can be. Um, a lot of that has been engaging with the literature the research that's been going on there has been a real increase over the last few years in research into support for student well-being and for researcher well-being in particular and coming out of that the main project the main piece of work that i've i've been doing has been developing plans and beginning to roll out plans for mental health first aid training um, delivered by me as an instructor to key members of staff within the university so
0: could that include pgrs sorry
2: so so it will do we have a, so that the plan basically is that i spent a lot of time thinking about what the best approach to all of this would be and one of the things that i felt was really important is that it's very I wouldn't say it's easy but it's a tempting thing when you start thinking about how can we support pgrs support their well-being to say okay what we should do is have more workshops for them you know mm. how can we help them to be more resilient give them stress management skills give them a space at all all of those things and there's a lot of value in doing that potentially I'm not saying that's a bad idea but I think sometimes I think and the, and the research says that this is what happens at other institutions that tends to be the kind of exclusive focus because it's a bit easier to put those in place than it is to kind of really enact any kind of structural change and what i wanted to and it places too much onus on the pgr and the researcher themselves if you like Um, so what i wanted to start with before focusing on those types of things is something that improves the support structures around the pgrs that makes sure that the the academic helps the academic staff who are supporting pgrs and the professional services staff who are supporting researchers to feel as well equipped as possible to support researcher well-being to be more confident in talking about positive mental health and things like that um, so to answer your question in a long way there will be a point further down the line where mental health first aid are training being offered to PGRs is what will, will happen. That, that's definitely on the list. But I didn't want to start offering that training to PGRs until I could say, look, we have trained the doctoral college staff in mental health first aid. We have trained the associate deans for the doctoral college, the postgraduate research directors, some supervisory staff, those types of things. Because mm. then we can say, you know, we have put these things in place to help you all now you might find the training beneficial too but we're not placing the onus on you to be the ones kind of making the change happen
0: i think that's an excellent thing and it's you know all about the support for the pgr um but uh this is a pgr audience that we're talking to um so what can pgrs do to check their own well-being and also the well-being of others uh is that kind of pointing them in the direction of um, going to the doctoral college, going to yourself, going uh, to others in the university?
2: I think that can be, for some people, that can be a really good place to start. I think that uh, what, something that's really valuable about what we offer, if you, if you like, yeah, and this is what I felt kind of coming into the role, you know, so this isn't me just saying what we do is great, but it struck me as soon as I started the role the kind of one-to-one support that we do offer giving people a space to be able to come and to speak to get some kind of impartial guidance but often really not it's not so much about getting the advice itself as just having a space to talk and to think through for themselves how they might want to address a particular challenge they're facing or those types of things so yeah coming to us requesting a one-to-one appointment is, is definitely something that all pgr should feel very Welcome to do um, just by emailing the RDP inbox, uh, RDP at surrey.ac.uk. Fantastic. You know, I was just to about to ask. Ah, um. yes. <laughs> and 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 you know we're well versed in you kind of talking and listening, but also helping and referring on if we think there are other parts of the university that are a better place to offer support, whether that's the centre for well-being or other forms of support. Mm. Um, so there's that side of things. I think. As individuals, as researchers, the and particularly as you said, in terms of working alongside others, you know, kind of your peers and thinking about their well-being as much as, as as your own, I always think one of the most powerful things that that we can all do is kind of model good practice when it comes to well-being, when it comes to things like maintaining a good work-life balance or, you know, allowing space in our lives for for things other than our research. Because I think it's very easy in any kind of doctor environment, whether that's a lab-based environment or kind of office-based cohorts, there's a natural tendency to kind of, for there to be a little bit of a kind of arms race that develops of kind of, you know, if someone says they're busy, what you hear is, I'm not working hard enough if I'm not as busy as they are, if I'm not staying in the lab as late as they are, working as late as they are at my desk. And every time someone else feeds into that and contributes to that, everyone's coming often from a place of worry that they're not doing enough. But all that does is tell everyone else they might not be doing enough and it escalates. And I think a lot of the kind of challenges that, that PGRs find when it comes to work-life balance come from that. And it can be a powerful thing to try and, try and step back from that where we can, and to to not feel ashamed to say to our peers, I was feeling a bit burnt out this week. You know, no, no, I, no, I, de- I gave myself Monday off. I had to take a bit of time. Um, no, I know I didn't work over the weekend. Um, those things that you might be tempted to, to suppress, to swallow, because you don't want to sound like the one who's not busy, you you could you you could be doing more good than you know by voicing those things because the other people who hear them they get permission to also feel tired permission to take a break those types mm-hmm. of things
0: um that's excellent how have you seen things change in the past 4 months to do with well-being to do with your role uh, to do with PGR engagement
2: it's been really interesting i mean and 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 full of challenges, obviously, as, as, the, as the last few months have been for, for all of us in different ways. Um, I think, I think the, the first thing that struck us in, um, is that as soon as we knew that lockdown was kind of imminent, as soon as the kind of campus began to shut down and we were switching to home working, virtual working, um, we, what we expected was that, and what we got set up to kind of be ready for, was that there would be an increase in people requesting one to one support that people would be feeling isolated and, and wanting to have those one-to-one chats with us. And actually what we found is that where the engagement has really significantly increased has actually been with the workshops. Um, so we, we were glad, we were able to kind of switch our schedule so we didn't have to cancel anything that was scheduled in terms of workshops as we switched to the virtual delivery and we yeah, obviously continued to schedule new things. And We've been doing a lot of analysis of the numbers and, and the engagement. And yeah, attendance at workshops has increased. And I think I think there are a number of reasons for that. I think one of them is that for some researchers they have had time more time to focus on kind of personal and professional development, particularly ones who have been unable to work in labs and things like that. I think it's also that workshops have been one space virtually in which people have been able to stay connected with peers feel connected with the kind of community that they've lost by not being in the PhD office or in the lab together. Um, so that's been you know, that's been good to see. I, I, you know and it's reassured me because some of the early research that's been conducted outside of Surrey nationally about kind of how best to, su- to support PGR well-being during this period. There was a survey run by VTI which is the national body that's kind of responsible for research and development. And one of their findings from the survey that they ran in the early months of lockdown was that PGRs who said that their universities had made a good range of virtual workshops available reported higher levels of general well-being. There seems to be a correlation there, um, you know, which we didn't know was gonna be, be the case when we were doing our scheduling and all of those things, but mm. it's, that's a validating thing to hopefully feel like. Keeping all of that available to people has been a help one way or another.
0: Fantastic. And finally, uh, you did touch on this a bit uh, in one of your previous answers. Um, Is there any piece of advice that you have for current PGRs uh, that you want to pass on from your time as your work in the doctoral college or your time as a PhD student yourself?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I kind of, I thought about this question and it's, uh, you know, Went through my kind of mental Rolodex of advice, if you like, because I do. So, there's so much that I kind of find myself drawing on when I, I, I talk to researchers. Um, but I, th- I think if I'm going to pin it down to one, I think thinking about my own experiences is. you know, So this is this is a, this is a piece of advice about about writing, really about you know kind of notes, writing your notes, writing your drafts, writing your thesis, and it's it's just that. From my perspective, I don't think any writing that you do during your doctorate is ever wasted. and you shouldn't ever feel tempted to delete drafts or cut out paragraphs without pasting them into a separate kind of file that you're saving somewhere else. One way or another, I've always found, you know, so I've, certainly I often found in my own doctorate, like things that you pull out because you decide the project isn't going in that direction, or that theory is no longer relevant. That makes sense in the moment, and then six months down the line, 12 months down the line, suddenly something else clicks in your mind, and that theorist suddenly is relevant again. Um, or you know, um, you have the opportunity to, to submit a chapter for an edited collection. Um, and that writing that you wrote for a draft that you've pulled out because it's no longer part relevant to your main thesis that's sitting there and it's the bones of a separate book, chapter or paper that you might submit. So yeah, kind of, you know, it might, it does mean building up quite an enormous library of Word documents or Evernote kind of files or whatever it might be, but yeah, kind of keep everything um, and label everything so you can find it and you never know when it's gonna pay off.
0: That's an excellent piece of advice. Uh, One last thing, remind us what the contact, how to contact the RDP team.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So it, it's, it's simply just emailing rdp at surrey.ac.uk. Um, you know, so that is an inbox that is kind of obviously monitored daily. Any questions that PGRs have about any of our training workshops, all of the different bits of support, whether it's one-to-one support from training officers like me or from the careers and employability staff within the uh, doctoral college, all of that can kind of be kind of raised with that email address. Just even more broadly, we often kind of say to people, if you have a question and you don't quite know who to ask as a PGR, feel free to ask it to us using that email address. We try and be a good first port of call to help people navigate the sometimes complex structures and bureaucracy of the the university. So, you know, don't ever feel ashamed as a PGR or unsure about whether you should ask us something because we'll always do our best to help.
0: Alex, thank you for talking to us.
2: It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Lester.